entering the Freedom Hut. So there's an offer on the table. Congress says that they've struck an agreement. Is it good enough for President Trump? Is the money enough for the border wall? The president seems to have two minds on this issue. We'll break that down. And also, what about the Obama administration when it came to Border Patrol? Oh, let's have the former chief of Obama's Border Patrol tell us that we're right on all of this stuff. That's coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Last year, Juarez had 1,200 murders. El Paso, right next door, a few feet away, had 23 murders. Walls work. Actually, there's nothing like them for what we're talking about. We want to stop drugs. We want to stop traffickers. We want to stop criminals from coming in. Walls save lives. The amount of money that is here, it would take 20 years to complete the wall. So are we going to wait for 20 years to stop drug traffickers? Are we going to wait for 20 years to stop human trafficking? Are we going to wait 20 years to allow cartels to control our southern border? I hope not. We can do better than that. We should do better than that. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show live from New York City today. The Freedom Hunt back going back to its roots here. NYC. So which is it, folks? Walls work, but not enough money for the wall? Why is that? Someone explain that one, or try to. We have now gathered all the information as a country, had had this debate in public, and we know that walls work, but Democrats still don't want to sufficiently fund a wall. Just a little, little tiny bit. A little tiny bit. I mean, more than, say, Nancy Pelosi was going to offer up not long ago when she was saying, oh, she would give... How much was it? Is there any situation which you would accept even a dollar of wall funding for this president in order to reopen the government? A dollar? (laughs) (laughs) One dollar? Yeah, one dollar. Ha ha ha, Nancy. Well, it looks like they're giving about a billion times and change that. But it's still not enough money. It is not enough money. It will not build the wall fast enough. The crisis is getting worse. The system is getting increasingly overloaded. I mentioned at the very top here, we're going to have the chief of Border Patrol from the Obama years to join us. And then don't don't change that dial. Don't be like, hey, whoa, Buck, we don't, we don't need to hear any of that. No, this guy, he's a professional. He's a practitioner. Somebody who did, who did the work at the border and knows what was going on there. And he's going to come on. I, I've, I've talked to him before. I talked to him this morning, actually, on, on Rising. And he's like, look, the Democrats are just wrong on this. They're just, they're just not telling the truth or they don't know. We need a wall. There is a crisis. This is Obama's Border Patrol chief, okay, under the Obama years. And I'm going to ask him about that in depth. That'll come up the next hour. You should definitely stick around for that. There, there is no more. There's no expert group. And I heard this so much from the Democrats and from the left and the media and all their lackeys on MS and CNN and the rest. There is no experts say walls don't work. That's a lie. It's a lie I've heard so many times, but, you know, we, we have to counter it repeatedly. If I just tell you, if I come on the show and tell you once, well, 
you know, you're going to hear it from other people a hundred times that walls don't work. If you watch some of the left wing, which I hope you don't do, but if you do, that's fine. You know, some of the left wing cable news channels out there. And some of you are gonna, aren't going to hear me that day on that show. You know, we have to fight back. I mean, this is a messaging war. So we have to repeatedly shoot down their lies because they are lying. It is it, They are mendacious on this issue. They keep doing it. I do think, however, the White House is overselling what a win this is. It's just not it's not enough money. And the options, I suppose, are shut down, which happened would happen this weekend, shut down and declare national emergency, shut down and try to ride it out again, which I don't think the administration has a stomach for, and or, or just sign this thing and then declare some kind of national emergency. And keep in mind that the there are federal statutes in place already that would allow the president of the United States as the commander in chief to use DOD funding to construct barriers that would prevent the importation of dangerous and illegal substances, drugs, in the United States. Trump has the legal authority to just build a wall. They'd have to shift some money around. I kind of like what Ted Cruz was saying about having El Chapo pay for it. Assuming we could seize those assets and Mexico wouldn't try to challenge that, you know, I don't know. But if Mexico tried to challenge that, then I would just say, hey, Mexico, guess what? The $20 billion a year in untaxed remittances that you get for your economy, this that cold, hard cash that's being sent back to your country from America, from predominantly, not entirely, but from a lot of uh, illegal aliens as well as uh, legal ones, um, that money, uh, we're going to start taxing that. So we, we have leverage. We have levers that we can use with Mexico on this. But I, I still think that the wall absolutely needs to get built. But I, I wanted to also just take a moment here to enjoy an, another phenomenon that is occurring right now, and that is Democrats are increasingly triggered by the words of the leaders of their own party. Democrats become upset when you do really nasty, unfair things to them, like print their policy documents, read their quotes play videos of them saying what they believe, this has now become mean. It's mean to Ocasio-Cortez to talk about what's really in the Green New Deal. It's mean to Representative Omar to point out what she says and what she thinks on foreign policy. I mean, you just, you just go down the list. You know, These are things that you would think the Democrats would be excited. Why aren't they excited to, say, take a vote on... The Green New Deal. I mean, Mitch McConnell, known to some of us as Cocaine Mitch, which is a joke that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, has to do with a crazy ad that I think ran in West Virginia about Mitch McConnell, some candidate, and it just caught on, became a meme. I have it on good authority that Mitch McConnell finds that funny, by the way, that he finds the Cocaine Mitch stuff funny. So it's okay. He laughs about it, too. But people don't call him Cocaine Mitch, and they they do a lot of memes like he's Tony Montana from... uh, from Scarface, they'll, they'll Photoshop Mitch McConnell's face on a Tony Montana, you know. And uh, Mitch McConnell had, had this idea that I think is great, which is let's have Democrat senators that are, especially because there's a lot of Democrat senators that are going to be running for the presidency. Let's have them. It was Don Blankenship that ran the ad. Nice. Yeah. I, was, I remember that ad. 
cocaine Mitch, you know, he started just mumbling about something about cocaine. Everyone's like, what? That was one of the craziest ads for any political race anyone's ever seen. That was nuts. Anyway, so Mitch McConnell has this idea. Well, hold on a second. Let's just have people who say they're for the Green New Deal as it stands right now. And then the media has been running all kinds of interference for just how stupid the Green New Deal really is. I mean, first of all, just this, the, the grandiose language that this is going to be a new deal. It, it's all, it's never going to happen. I mean, I certainly hope not because it would destroy the economy, but it's it's unlikely this thing will ever even become a law. But this is a get the base fired up tactic from the left, right? This is the base trying to be all, or this is the Democrats rather trying to get their base all excited about just how progressive and radical and all these new ideas that they have. And Mitch McConnell had this crazy idea. His idea was, let's just have these senators, these Democrat senators, vote on this. Because if you get them on the record voting in favor of this massive transformation of the American economy, that makes it harder for them later on to say, yeah, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really so down with that whole Green New Deal thing. You know, Nancy Pelosi, somebody who talks, who talks a big game about climate change because she knows that the base likes it. But when the you'll notice when the Green New Deal came out, she was like, "Yeah, I don't know. That's that's that, that's cute." I mean, she wasn't taking it seriously. Tells you about how unserious the whole thing was. But I, I like that Mitch now takes the approach of let's just let the Democrats be Democrats. Let's show the American people what the Democratic Party is really about, which is socialism, infanticide, open borders, higher taxes, less economic growth, less personal freedom. Let's just let people see this for what it is. Because they don't have a Hillary candidate now. They don't have some some establishment figure that has been propped up and a narrative has been crafted around that person of being a centrist, a competent technocrat, all just mythology around Hillary. They don't really have that person now. You have a Democrat primary that's looking like it's going to be a total free-for-all. There's really no front runner at all at this point. And sometimes this takes, I understand, sometimes it takes a while to consolidate. You look at, you know, when John Kerry consolidated his uh, lead, it happened after the first few states. So, I mean, we're early in this. I understand that. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of us. But Democrats in my lifetime have never started out with as radical and left wing a platform as what you're seeing right now. And I think Mitch is right to try to. Get them on the record. You know, I think Mitch is right to see that, that the Democrats should have to actually they should have to drink the medicine that they're trying to foist on the rest of the American people. Then they should have to they should have to be users of their own product, so to speak. Yeah. You like this Green New Deal stuff? Go on the record and talk and go on the record. So that way, later on, you have to defend this and you can't just pretend that this was some passing media fad that had nothing to do with anything. Green New Deal is is basically crazy. So, uh, meanwhile, Kirsten Gillibrand, who doesn't seem to know much about anything from what I can gather, she's a big fan of this. 
We want to see a green economy in the next decade, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Part of the Green New Deal, there's some really important, important components like clean air, clean water as a right, cleaning up all these Superfund sites and all these brownfields, making sure we invest in, in green technologies and teach young people how to build solar panels and do wind turbines and geothermal and hydropower and um, biofuels. Like That's important and exciting. There's so much opportunity in this bill for economic growth and really fixing things that are broken. I, she just has no idea what she's talking about. Doesn't understand how business works, doesn't understand how these technologies work. It, it's just blather. It's just nonsense. You're going to teach young people about solar panels? What? Or how, I think, did she say how to make solar panels? That's what it sounded like to me, which I was like, that'll be, that sounds like a fun class. Welcome to Solar Panel Making 101, where you will be able to make exactly one solar panel over the course of the semester. That's not a fun class. I don't want to be in that class. So these are the Democrats. We are seeing who they are. We're seeing what their agenda is for the country. And it's you can tell. I think there's a an exhalation of relief from a lot of people in Trump world. It's like, oh, that's right. Look, it's not the Trump administration hasn't been perfect. Wall hasn't been built. There's things that still has to get done. We got to hold their feet to the fire. No doubt. But at least they're not the Democrats. That's that's what you've really had the last month or so is this uh, this this point in time when we all get to remember, oh, our side is at least trying to grapple with reality as it is. Try to come up with ways to make this country better and stronger and all that stuff. Democrats are like, let's just pretend that we're in some kind of a fantasy land and just make it up as we go along. Clean energy, green energy, the jobs. I also I, I hate when politicians say invest in what that means is take money from you, the taxpayer, and direct it to cronies and pet projects and things that they just like. Because if there's an idea out there, let me tell you, I know a lot of people that spend a lot of time searching for good investments. And they're actually hard to find. You know why that is? Because when you have a really obvious investment out there, when you have an obvious investment opportunity, people take it. The reason there's not more money flooding into green energy and and there's not more independent free market capitalism-based funding for these green energy projects is because they don't make financial sense. That's why. The reason you need all these government guarantees, things like the Solyndra boondoggle of the Obama era, you will recall, hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer guarantees for those loans. The reason you need that is because the market will not bear what the Democrats say it will when it comes to these technologies. They are not cost efficient enough. They are not competitive enough. When they are, there'll be more of it. They're getting closer, but they're not there yet. Biggest problem the Democrats have is that they're Democrats at the end of the day. That's the good news for us. Uh, we have much more coming up. Team, stay right there. The president wants to see what the final package looks like, and he'll make a decision at that point. Uh, they're still tinkering and making edits uh, to that legislation. And once we see what the, the final piece looks like, the president can make that decision. But you can rest assured the president promised he was going to build the wall, and he's going to deliver 
And this has made some progress. Nancy Pelosi said she wasn't going to give a dollar for the wall. This has roughly $1.4 billion that'll go towards the wall that uh, the whole country knows that we need, knows that the president is going to make happen. In total, it gives about $23 billion in border security, which is desperately needed. Uh, it expands ICE versus abolishes ICE, like we've heard some Democrats talk about in the past. So there are some positives in this bill. There are some positives, but it's not great. Okay, and look, Sarah Sanders is there to speak for the White House, and and she's obviously going to look for the positive in the situation as she should. But it's not great. Or not, or not, I'm not. I'm not here to tell you. Oh yeah, that's amazing. No, it's less money than he would have gotten initially for the for the, the wall, and uh, or less money than we've gotten for border security overall. Turns out there is some. New fencing that is being built the southern border had to do with an earlier appropriation, I think, but it is going to get done this year and it is going to go up in the it is already going up in the Rio Grande sector. But I think it's like five miles. So that's not it helps. Hey, producer Mike, every little bit helps. You know what I mean? Every little bit helps. Um, But on the other side of this equation, you have the Democrats who increasingly now people are realizing two very important parts of the immigration debate. One is that walls work, and to say otherwise is stupid and a lie. The other part, though, is that Democrats are the partner of open borders. They want open borders. They believe in this. They love illegal aliens more than they love Americans, based on the sound of what they say. Blake Clip 2. We are fighting for the long-standing principle and the long-standing progressive principle that the people who build this country stay in this country, and we, and we are part of the long long fight for the people whose hands have built this country to be honored and respected in the United States of America. We are here to make sure that all TPS recipients become permanent members of the United States of America. Yep. That's right. Illegal aliens are the ones building America, you see. They're the ones that are building America. We owe them legal status. We owe them citizenship. Because because they've done so much for all of us. See, they, they take this whole dynamic and they flip it around. You would think that shouldn't people that are in the country illegally who have been living here in America and benefiting from our services and this economy and the safety and security of this country, shouldn't they be thankful? No, 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 no. The left, the Democrat view on this is that we owe them this, that we should be thankful to them, to the illegal alien that has been in this country the millions and millions of them for many years see it all gets completely turned around this is how the democratic party views it though ocasio cortez there as as crazy as she sounds she is not an outlier she is now for democrats in the mainstream which is there should be a mass amnesty and anyone who wants to come to this country legally or otherwise should be allowed to stay as long as they vote democrat which we know is very likely that they are going to. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. He simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. An illegal alien should not be treated the same as people who entered the U.S. legally. We must control our borders. We must protect our borders. We know 
that walls do not save lives. Walls end lives. There is no bargain in which we can sacrifice some of our humanity to gain a little more security. It's just like, I just get like really emotional. And to the 30 people who are at my rally, like all of you, I just want you to watch my Instagram live stream that I'm going to do later of like me making avocado toast because I'm like really hip. Millennials like me. My name is Beto. Notice how we started out there with a bunch of Democrats saying stuff that today would be considered super racist, producer Mike. Super racist. Can't treat illegal aliens the way they treat the rest of people because we have laws about that stuff. That's terrible, mean thing. Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer should have to apologize for all of this. Of course he won't. Because it wasn't, it's actually not racist, right? Democrats knew that then, but what has changed since then? What's changed is that we've learned more about the immigration issue because we now have an administration that speaks about it without all of the propaganda and the talking points just stacked on top of itself so that you can't get to any truth. You can't get to any honesty in the discussion. It's all just America is a nation of immigrants. Walls don't work. Immigrants, illegal or otherwise, are better than Americans. Like, can we stop with that? This has been conventional wisdom from the left and from the mainstream media for a very long time. And now it is finally starting to crumble. And I think there's a bit of panic in the media because they will eventually have to reckon with the fact that the American people do not want continued waves of illegal illegal aliens coming into the country, which is why they're going to push very hard as soon as possible for a mass amnesty now. They want a mass amnesty now. They want this to be an issue that doesn't have to be dealt with really anymore because it is finished. As I've told you many times, once you give permanent status, once somebody has a green card or citizenship or whatever it is that had been a, an illegal alien, you're never going to be able to turn that around. You're never going to be able to make that uh, make that not the case. So I, I do think that there's a point in time here where we're either going to cross, cross over and become a country that all of a sudden takes sovereignty seriously, a country that believes that it has a right to enforce its borders and its immigration laws, or else we're, we are going to just slowly but surely have borders that are effectively non-existent. They will dissolve. They'll become checkpoints, but not borders, meaning you have to stop and check in. You have to say, hey, I want to come to America, but that's all that it takes. I mean, just think of it this way. I still have people that that will go on TV. I see people going on TV and they'll say, it's not illegal to claim asylum. This is a really disingenuous talking point. Because, yes, of course it's not illegal to claim asylum. The problem is that people are breaking laws in the asylum process, right? Let's say that you had people that were walking into a bank and they were, when the teller wasn't looking, stealing money out of the, the teller tray, which obviously this wouldn't be a very secure bank, but just stay with me for this. If you had people that kept going on TV saying it's not illegal to walk into a bank, you'd say, well, yeah, but that's not the point. The point is what happens when they're in the bank in our asylum process. Yeah, it's not illegal to claim asylum. It's illegal to lie 
to try to get asylum. And then it's illegal to not show up for your hearing where you find out whether or not you qualify for asylum. So what they do is they just repeat these things that make it sound like there's no problem. But of course, there's a problem. And the reason they don't want to deal with it is it's really it's a combination of they have been told. I mean, the reason the Democrat Party has moved so far left on immigration is, yes, it is first and foremost about power. And they understand that this is votes for their party. And this is going to create a one party supermajority in this country for the rest of our lifetimes and probably our children and children's lifetimes if they manage to get a mass amnesty for 20 million people. Think about what that does to the electorate. If you have 20 million people who demographically vote 70 percent or higher for the Democratic Party, say goodbye to ever having another Republican president in your lifetime. That's what we're talking about. That is what's really at stake, which is also why state and federal agencies don't want to tell us what the number of illegal aliens are. I mean, shouldn't it bother more people that we are told that it is, I think now they'll say 12 million because it's gotten a little too hard to cling to that 11 million. Shouldn't it bother more people that the federal government has not only no idea, but has clearly an interest in lying about how many illegal aliens are in the country? No, serious. we have the, the Obama administration's head of Border Patrol joining us in just a few minutes. You're going to, I think, find his conversation with me fascinating. I mean, I, I've talked to him this morning uh, on the Hill and, and I wanted him to come on tonight to, so you could hear from him because there's what the people that have expertise say about this issue. And then there's what the 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 blathering, chattering, you know, claptrap class of the pundits and the media and the rest of it say about this. And they are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. Um, but, you know, if we're going to fix this, we have to at least start from the premise of, you know, how are, how are we how big is the problem? And they don't want to assess how big the problem is because I think they know that there would be outrage. One, about the fact that we've been lied to and the government's been so wrong for so long about this, that the media has no curiosity about this whatsoever. And that a bunch of math whizzes at Yale looked at all the available data numbers and came back and said, you know what? It's 20 million. Just based on based on the data that we already have. It's got to be at least 20 million. And if you think about this, too, it's, it was 50,000 last month. None of them are going back to Honduras. None of them are going back to Mexico or El Salvador or Nicaragua. It's 50,000 a month, 12 months in a year, half a million people a year. And that's been for the last few years. You're going to tell me that the number is just, oh, it's 11 million. I mean, this, you know, I, I don't mean to harp on this. I don't mean to, 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 plow the same field too many times on the issue of the number, but it's just indicative of how this whole conversation needs to change. I think Trump is trying to change it. There's so much dishonesty wrapped into this. There's so much unwillingness to confront the truth. And a lot of it comes from Republicans, too. A lot of it comes from the you know GOP establishment that is completely in the pocket of the donor class. That is a real thing. A lot of Democrats will criticize that. It is true. There are a lot of GOP reps out there. There's a lot of Republican politicians who are sellouts to the ideals of their party and sellouts even to what they say they stand for. Claim to stand for small government, claim to care about, you know, people in the working class and those with small businesses who are, are affected by this issue of illegal immigration and among many other issues. So we will see if this is going to be... Um, the moment the Trump administration finally 
gets a win on this. I I think we've been it's been a little paltry. Um, I'm disappointed in what we've had so far. I like the fight, but I I need to see an administration that is going to use the power that it has and make a declaration, make a declaration right up front, right now of not just a declaration of, of emergency. That's one way to go, but. The president should just say, these are the sectors where we've been told by the experts the wall should be built. I have statutory authority to do it. I'm just going to start doing it. I'm just going to start building the wall. Let the courts try to shut him down. Let's have the American people see how lawfare is the response of the Democratic Party to Democratic elections that don't go their way. Got to talk about Ilhan Omar coming up. Then we have Obama's Border Patrol chief joining us in a little bit. You'll want to hear that. Stick around. Now to the president. He's calling for Omar to get out. And that is interesting because he seemed to say something very similar to what Omar said when addressing the Republican Jewish coalition in 2015. You're not going to support me because I don't want your money. You want to control your own politician. That's fine. Now, why is it different? Is it because Omar is Muslim and wears a hijab? Representative Omar's tweets were a disgrace. Uh, Anti-Semitism has no place in the United States Congress uh, or anywhere uh, in our country or the free world. Unless Representative Omar resigns from Congress, at minimum, Democrat leaders should remove her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Isn't that just a classic, a classic moment there from Bro Cuomo? Hey, is he the same or is he different or the same? Uh, You got Cuomo over at CNN who... Is trying to say, oh, is it what is? Yeah, Trump is an anti-Semite. Is that really? He's really going to go with that one? Or Trump said the same thing? Everybody understands that there are different interest groups and there are different uh, public policy foundations and PACs and think tanks, and that there's money involved in these things. They're pushing different ideas. But when you are a person who has already been saying things about how you think that Israel has hypnotized the world, as Omar has, and then you say it's all about the Benjamins, and, you know, there's a a context. I think it's so fascinating. Liberals are the ones who believe that that people, based on who they are, can't even say certain words, not allowed to say certain words. Liberals are the ones who believe that every time a person makes any comment, who they are, ethnically, religiously, has to be taken into account, and the ones who get to judge all of this are of course the liberals right the left they get to determine are you allowed to oh are you allowed to say that no no is buck allowed buck is a white male what is he allowed to say basically nothing except sorry sorry for my privilege sorry that's all i'm really allowed to say but ilhan omar somebody who comes from the muslim world is a muslim based on the liberal approach to these things When you have somebody who is a Muslim who is particularly anti-Israel and talks about the money that the Jews have that hypnotizes the world, these comments that they make one after another, you would say this person has a a history of and a mindset of anti-Semitism. That it's not as it's not as simple as just, well, anyone who says that that any groups use money in politics, everyone's being anti-Semitic right now. But they erase all context. We're actually going to talk to Michael Malice later on about this, because this is a very important point, that when, when liberals see an opening, they, go, they become hyper-literalist. You know, every, every, every word means exactly what the word means. It doesn't matter. There's no jokes or there's no subtlety. There's no nuance. There's no context. If, if that means that they can bash the other side, that's what they do. 
And on their side, the words don't even mean what the words say. On their side, Ocasio-Cortez's office didn't put out some insanity about cow farts and no airplane travel and the Green New Deal frequently asked questions. Oh, no, wait. She did. They did. We can try to find all these ways to, well, but it was just, no, no, they did. And they should have to deal with the consequences of that decision making and, and showing us what they really believe and really just how ignorant they are. It's not even about how radical they are. It's how stupid they are. That's the problem with the Green New Deal. Remember that. People are saying, oh, it's because they're so because radical. People say it almost sounds like it's revolutionary, like they're being brave. No, they're being idiots. They're being idiots. Uh, Producer Mike, did you know that Cory Booker among? Yeah, that's right. Spartacus among all of his flaws. You know, he's a vegan. Yeah, that's the biggest offense of all. I was going to say, I, I mean, America can, you know, America is a very, very diverse, very welcoming place for all kinds of folks. But this country is not ready for a vegan president. No way. Could you imagine that debate with Trump and Booker over meat? Like Trump would come out on the stage with like 5,000 Big Macs. <laughs> and also, I mean, nobody likes that guy or gal that's like, do you realize that you're wearing the skin of animals on your feet? Do you realize that it's only because of honey beef servitude that you can put that honey in your tea? It's like, no one likes that person. That cows are cows are being, you know, shackled and their udders are overflowing. I'm like, yeah, milk is delicious. Like, well, it's uh, I didn't know I didn't know till then that that Booker is a vegan and he's saying that our meat consumption is unsustainable. By the way, eh, he's done. No way. There's a lot of things Americans can't agree on right now, but a solid majority of us still loves meat. Oh yeah. Thank heavens for that. His campaign is unsustainable. His campaign is unsustainable. It's not. It's not going anywhere. I think it's uh, I think it's bad, bad shape. But uh, oh wait, uh, Representative Omar though, back to this back to this whole issue. She's getting a lot of attention this week. She is surprised by all this. She says, which I think is interesting. I've stated all of it in my statement. Apologize today, but what have you learned from your comments and the reaction to it? I've stated all of it in my statement. Do you regret your comments, Congressman? Look, she's going with the real defensive PR strategy there. It's in my statement. It's in my statement. This is somebody who likes to wax philosophical on a whole range of topics, but I think she decided that it was time to uh, time to batten down the hatches a little bit. It was not it was not going well here. Um, look, we all know that Ilhan Omar, we've, we see, we see the, do we have that exchange that she had with, uh, with Elliot, Elliot Abrams? That happened. That was interesting. That happened today too. Uh, we all know that she's, uh, she's very left wing and her politics are very left wing and she is a, a Muslim and is very concerned with the state of Israel. And, you know, a lot of this stuff lines up. We, we, we know enough about people to know you know, the same way that if you are somebody who goes to church on Sunday, believes in the right to bear arms, believes in, in being pro-life, you know, you're going to have other other ideas will likely a- attach to that. Somebody who hates Israel, thinks that APAC controls U.S. foreign policy with its money uh, and thinks that America was doing terrible things. And, you know, well, rather, the outcome in El Salvador is a terrible thing and America's uh in Central America, all the stuff we've done is bad. You know, this is left. This is left wing stuff. So it's not really surprising that you have Ilhan Omar 
saying any of this. What is interesting, though, is the left, they're going to always try to create a different standard for her. She's a minority. She's a female. She's Muslim. So they, they, that that ticks off three boxes for them. So they'll always be more protective of her, give her more leeway than they will, say, you know, a white male. Um, but she can't even stay within the boundaries of that artificial intersectionality-based protection. She, she still manages to go too far. And, and look, she's been condemned by both parties. There's not really much here. But, you know, this is what happens when you have the Democratic Party embracing identity politics so much. They just have different standards for different people based on where they're from and how they look. This is how Democrats do things. Wish it wasn't the case, but this is, uh, this is who the Democratic Party has become. We have much more common team. I'll be right back. All right, so you're ready to bring on somebody new to your business. You're all excited. The resume looks good. Everything's ready to go, right? Before you can give that person their, their key card and give them their credentials and make them a part of your business, you got to have background checks done. Uh, whatever business you're in, large or small, background checks are essential. And that's why I tell you to go to the people I trust, Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. they got headquarters in Chicago, but their risk mitigation experts can handle cases all across the country. So if you have a need for background checks or if you already have somebody doing them but you don't think it's really working out for you, you really should check out my friends at Global Verification Network. Just give them a call, tell them what you need, and let them walk you through what they can do for you. 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. The numbers are almost $23 billion, which you don't report too often. It's about an 8% increase over last year. So if you look at the total funding, it's over, it's almost up to $23 billion. It's about 8% higher. Uh, the border area is happening. It's going to happen at a really rapid pace. We're giving out contracts right now, and we're going to have a great wall. It's going to be a great, powerful wall. People will not be able to get through that wall very easily. And uh, I think you see that. I think you see it happening. It's very important. It'll also have technology. It'll have drones. It'll have everything else we have. If you look at the other elements, ICE funding, uh, will be complete. We have other things happening, which people aren't talking about, but we've got a lot of funds for a lot of other things. There you have President Trump updating all of us on where the border wall funding fight currently stands. I'm going to bring in a voice that I think you all need to hear from. This is uh, Mark Morgan. He is the former Border Patrol chief of the Obama administration. Okay, so let's just keep in mind that this is somebody who served under the Obama administration as Border Patrol chief. Mark, thanks so much for calling in. Thanks, Buck. You bet. All right. Let's start with some of the basics. Then I want to drill down to the specifics about the, the situation at our southern border, the fence, the wall. But staying staying right in the center of, of, uh, of your wheelhouse here, people say the wall doesn't work or, or fences don't work. And you, as somebody who knows the issue inside and out, what do you say? I'd say that's completely false, Buck. That is a false narrative. And a couple of things I think are really important, and I encourage American citizens, all your listeners, to research this. 2006, a bipartisan bill, the Secure Fence Act, uh, both sides of, the, uh, uh, sides of the aisle voted for it. It led to 654 uh, miles of barrier being built. Yeah, and the, let's, let's look at the facts. Let's go to Tucson. Let's go to um, uh, El Paso, San Diego. 
Puma, Arizona, for example, in, in 2006, when the, when the barrier started being built, 23 miles of barrier, you threw in some technology and personnel, the illegal immigration went from about 140 to 150,000 to less than 15,000. Overall crime in that area went way down. And I could give you fact after fact after fact, walls were. And here's, here's one, one more important thing is that when, when I say that, is that it's, it's got to be part of a multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, the, the wall, technology, and personnel. When you put all those in strategic location, absolutely works. Data facts say it works. What does it make you? Uh, what does it make you think when when you hear the way that? I mean, look. Let's just be honest. I mean, the the, the Democrats have taken a tone about border patrol in recent years and about immigrations and customs enforcement, or even more recently, as as we saw this past summer, where they. Say things like I should be abolished. Uh, they indicate that the problem that we really have is the men and women who are trying to enforce immigration laws. Just h- how do you feel about that? And also, when did this change happen? I mean, did, did you can you tell me when all of a sudden one of the major political parties decided that they were no longer in favor of securing the border? Because to be honest, man, I don't see how people can make the argument that the Pelosi's and the Schumer's of the world do want to secure the border right now. So, Buck, I agree. And, and first of all, thank you so much for asking that. So I, I feel okay speaking on behalf uh, of the, the men and women who are risking their lives every single day to answer on their behalf. And when somebody says the, the, the vile things that they say about ICE and about the Border Patrol, I am disgusted. It is reckless and is irresponsible. Uh, to date, 128 Border Patrol agents have lost their lives defending the front lines of this country, trying to protect everybody. In the last two years, ICE have arrested 266,000 criminal aliens, 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sexual crimes, 4,000 kidnappings, 4,000 homicides, removed 6,000 gang or known suspected gang members, and I can keep going on and on. Yet they want to call ICE vile, disgusting things while they're out there risking their lives, saving saving uh, uh, people's lives, and getting bad people off the streets. It's disgusting, it's reckless, and it, it's got to stop. And we need to call them on it. What does Border Patrol need right now? I and mean, based on the numbers of people that are coming to the border now, both coming in through the massive asylum loophole that still is there and that Congress has to address, as well as all the illegal drug smuggling and, and other uh, other activities, other illicit activities are going on in and around or at and around the border region. What does Border Patrol need right now to get the job done? And, and in terms of the funding we're talking about here, one point two five billion, is that going to cut it? No. So 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 let's let's take the latter first. So, again, from a from a law enforcement border security aspect only. Right. No politics. I'm not a politician. That the one point three that the current proposal, as we've heard about it, it, it's a failure. It, It does not get the folks the resources they need. Border Patrol, CBP as a whole, including Office of Field Operations that makes up the CBP, they have been very clear what they need, and it's, it's been, and they've been very clear for a long time. As part of what they need to shut down the avenue in between the ports of entry and secure the ports of entry, they need a multi-layered strategy of that infrastructure, technology, and personnel. The 5.7, which they said they need, they prioritize the, the, the highest areas. And they said it's very clear what we need, 230 additional miles of barrier plus additional technology and additional personnel. That's what we need to start making a dent and shutting down the cartels. This proposal to me, all it did was continue to make the cartels rich and put our country at risk. We're speaking to Mark Morgan. He was the 
chief of Border Patrol under the Obama administration, folks. So, well, you're hearing people say, oh, it's just it's just Trump's Border Patrol that says that offense would be helpful. No, no. It's just practitioners, professionals, people that are supposed to and as their mission secure the border. They're the ones that are saying that a fence that barriers more barriers than we already have would be helpful. Um, but, Mark, if I could ask you a bit about the ICE, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement side of, of this equation, because really and uh, Border Patrol in San Diego told me that they wish that there was more of a, of a synergy, a bureaucratic synergy between ICE and, and Border Patrol, and that would just make things easier. So that, that's one point that I thought was, was interesting that they repeatedly made to me. But also, it's clear that ICE is an important piece of this whole immigration equation. And when I see that the Democrats want to fund fewer beds for people in detainment, what's that all about? Why, why would Democrats who claim to want to secure the border right now, along with Republicans, why would they want fewer ICE detention beds? So, look, this is another a great question, and, and I'm doing my best to stay apolitical, but, but it's impossible for me because when you talk about reducing the ICE beds, there's no conclusion except they want to do two things, right? They want to abolish ICE via checkbook. By doing that, look, you don't have to be a mathematician. Look, if you, if you reduce the bed space for ICE to detain people, and, and by the way, immigration, right, illegal immigration is, is increasing – Right. You don't have to be a mathematician. That, that is what I'm referring to as catch and release 2.0. We already have catch and release 1.0 from family units, unaccompanied children because of our asylum laws and Flores decision that once they set one foot on American soil, they're allowed into the United States. No questions asked. That's catch and release 1.0. By reducing the beds, you're forcing ICE. You're going to force ICE. To release people right now, ICE has 49,000 people in detention. 87% of them have been convicted of a crime or charged with a crime and/or suspected gang member. That is unconscionable. By reducing the beds, they're going to have to. They, they will be forced to let criminals back in the streets. So these aren't just. And this is. I know you're hitting this point home, but just to reiterate for everybody, the, when we're talking about ICE detention beds, there's overwhelmingly these are people that are being held for crimes in addition to their illegal status, including 1,600 murders, which I think is a, is a number that people need to keep in mind. I mean, Mark, uh, what was, I mean, I just think it's interesting to understand the the progression here, how we got to this point uh, about about the crisis at the border, about what's going on at the border. Do you remember from, a, from an executive prioritization perspective, when you were the head of Border Patrol in the Obama administration, what decisions were made from the top down that you think now, whether at the time or in retrospect, were a mistake? Look, I, I my goal is, is not to talk ill, but but the fact is that in 2016, and, and people, hey, don't listen to me now. Go back to my congressional testimony in 2016. We we were having the humanitarian crisis back then, as well as as well as the national security crisis. This isn't a new crisis. We've been saying this for a very, very long time. My perspective is, is that we called this a, a national security crisis. We called it a humanitarian crisis back then, and we have been for a while. In my position, to answer your question, Buck, I feel it was ignored. I feel just a general ignoring of the issue and not bringing it to light. The one thing that you can say about this president, and you can talk about the style all you want, but he has brought greater national attention to this very, very critical issue for our country than ever before. When I was chief, I believe it was ignored. And just before we let you go, Mark, 
there's a debate about whether walls work or not, which I think is, is farcical, but, and I'm glad that you've weighed in as, as an expert and as a, as a practitioner of, of border security, um, that walls obviously do work. But also, there's a, there's, an off, uh, there's a repeated talking point, off-repeated talking point among Democrats that the crisis is manufactured, that there is no crisis. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, just said, I think it was yesterday, there is no crisis. This is all nonsense. You've used the word crisis a lot. What do you say to people who say there is no crisis? So I, I think that's – I was just talking about another call to get about that. I mean, what do you say to somebody when, when you give statistics out about the, the incredible hundreds and hundreds, you know, pounds of narcotics that come in through the southwest border? Ninety percent of the heroin that leads to, to 60,000 overdoses in the country come from the southwest border. People are being human trafficked. Uh, young women and children are being sexually exploited for their lives. We have MS-13 pouring through our border that are, are permeating countless cities in our country. And we could go on and on and on with the stats. What that tells me is is identity politics. They were refusing, refusing to acknowledge the facts, and they'd rather, they would rather stick to their political party and, and, and protect their p- political party more than protect this country. That's what that says to me from a law enforcement border security perspective that I know. That's what that tells me. Mark, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really, really do appreciate it. Obama's former uh, chief of Border Patrol, folks. You heard it from him. Thanks so much, my friend, and thank you for all the work you did. You bet. Thanks, Mark. Team, we'll be right back. After warning you every day for the last couple of weeks, here we are. The deadline, Valentine's, is here. So you've only got today to make this happen. Do it right and win Valentine's, team, with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, 1-800-Flowers.com has amazing offers on beautiful Valentine's bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99. There's still time to have your bouquet delivered on Valentine's Day, so you're not too late, but you got to get going. you got to act today. Make sure you lock in this offer. It's only good while supplies last. You have an amazing selection of sweets, treats, and bouquets at 1-800-Flowers.com. To order beautiful and vibrant Valentine's bouquets starting at $29.99, just go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code BUCK. Valentine's Day is tomorrow, so order today, that's right, and save at 1-800-Flowers.com, promo code BUCK, 1-800-Flowers.com, radio icon, promo code BUCK. They've been investigating this Russia hoax for two years. Think of it. They've interviewed over 200 people. They've studied hundreds of thousands of documents and pages. And Richard just announced that they found no collusion between Donald Trump and Russia. I've had the CNN monitor on in the in the Freedom Hunt here for quite a while now, a couple of hours. I put the sound off. I obviously have Fox on too, so that I don't feel like all hope is lost in the world. I have not seen a single story. Producer Mike, have you seen a single story about how the Senate Intel Committee has finished their report? No collusion. I, I just haven't seen that story somehow on the Chiron. We're looking at the Verbaker across the screen here because I've got what a closed captioning. There you go. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen it. No, it's non-existent today. I am seeing that the judge's decision is uh, they're waiting on whether Manafort lied to the Mueller team in violation of his plea deal. What's a well? Let me ask everybody this: What's a bigger story? Maybe, maybe Manafort, who is already going to prison for a long time, 
uh, lied in violation of his plea deal or the fact that the Senate Intel Committee, which has access to classified, which has the ability to subpoena documents to uh, to investigate and to uh, interrogate or question people that it wants to as witnesses and all this, that it it came out with a report that says, yeah, there's no there's no collusion. Sorry, we're not able to find it. Uh, I think we all know the answer to that. Um, but, you know, meanwhile, the Washington Post, the the maybe this thing happened analysis is what they're falling back on now. This is the post an, an analysis piece, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, an editorial that we want to try to give more credibility to. If there was collusion with Russia, here's where it might have occurred. You know, if I were, uh, you know, seven feet tall and could jump 40 inches, I might be an NBA basketball player, but I am neither of those things. So why is that something that anyone needs to hear? If there was collusion, here's what might have happened. Well, I think about how where this stops. It doesn't stop anywhere. If Hillary Clinton was essentially running a money laundering operation through the Clinton Foundation for herself and her husband and selling it. Oh, no, that's that actually happened. But we don't we don't have to get too far with the hypotheticals there. This, though, is is where you're going to see a a media that gets really nasty and you're going to see them feel really insecure. Media is full of a lot of very insecure people to begin with. But they know that this is they're running out of time. They are running out of time with the uh, Russia collusion delusion. And that's why you're starting to see this. Well, it's uh, my, my favorite, really, of all of these ridiculous positions they take is, well, maybe we already proved Russia collusion. Have you seen that? All we need to know about is the Trump Tower meeting. I'm like, oh, OK, stop the presses. Somebody call Mueller. He already found it a long, long time ago. I don't think so, folks. I don't think so. But there are there are major news organizations that are going to have to hide from their their peers in the media, people like me, because I will not forget what they have done for the last two years, which is light their credibility on fire in an effort to pander to the sensibilities of Trump an audience that is overcome with Trump derangement syndrome. That is the reality of what has been going on here. I see that the uh, the Senate voted today to put uh, Bill Barr through further on in, in the process. So he, he's closer. He's closer now to being a, a the, the new attorney general. And I think look, I think he's going to be a very effective attorney general. I think that he'll do a good job in the role. But everyone has been saying that once there's a new attorney, well, these sources, people have been telling me, once there's a new attorney general, that's when you might have the, uh, the Mueller report finally given to, because it has to go to the attorney general. People have forgotten all along that these are executive branch employees. Mueller is an executive branch employee. His boss is a subordinate of the president's. So, you know, when, when people keep saying, oh, well, did Whitaker, has he been briefed on this? He's supposed to be briefed on this. There has been a false conception, and it's intentionally created by the media, where the Mueller probe is this island unto itself that has no accountability and no oversight, with the possible exception of Rod Rosenstein, who is a, from what everything I'm told, a bad guy. 
and is very anti-Trump and very opposed to, uh, you know, Trump 2020 and all that. I mean, he, he is not not on. Forget about being on, on Team Trump. He's just not on the straight and narrow here. I mean, he's been a, a partisan actor in this behind the scenes the whole time. But they know that when Bill Barr comes along, here's a guy who was attorney general, who has a a very uh, strong record. And they're not going to be able to say that he is, um, you know, they're not going to be able to come up with some reason to explain how he's not qualified. So he's going to become the AG. And then this whole collusion probe may come to an end. And the Democrats are just going to be like kids in a grocery store at the at the counter when they want to buy bubble gum and mom says no. They're just going to say, you know, I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to hold my breath. They're not going to be able to engage in a in any kind of real debate with anyone who knows anything about the Mueller probe uh, because or, or about Russia collusion and, and the Trump administration because it's all over, man. I mean, they, they they don't have the goods. We've known they haven't had the goods and. People should be held to account for this. I mean, people in the media who were just smug liars and clowns this whole time because they hate Trump so much they would say anything. Well, now we should say, why were you so dumb? We should ask a lot of very prominent people in the media that question. One thing that I noticed with sexual violence is that... There are many people who would like to glance away from this, but what and who we glance away from says so much about what our, what our priorities as a society. And it says so much about our health and our emotional well-being. Don't be afraid to see survivors for who they are. That was Dr. Vanessa Tyson last night. She is one of two women now who have come out and on the record with corroborated details and with agreement from all parties involved that there was a sexual encounter, she has come out and accused the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax of Virginia, of sexual assault, uh, of, of a forcible rape. And you, you hear her talking about this, and, and I'm sure a lot of thoughts come to mind, but, but one that comes to mind for me is, where is the, the press that made the Me Too movement the single biggest story in the country, you know, about a, a year or so ago. Where is the press that was trying to use every tool of propaganda and character assassination at their disposal to bring down Brett Kavanaugh on allegations that were nowhere near the credibility level of what has been leveled against Fairfax? See, this is why we don't trust the press. This is why you have to understand who is presenting you with news, what their what their background and biases are, and don't believe them when they say, oh, the press, we're just the guardians of democracy, and Trump is so mean when he calls us fake news. A lot of them are engaging in fake news. A lot of them are propagandists. They are activists for the left. They are not journalists. It's a lie. CNN is not a journalistic enterprise. It is a, a wing of the Democratic Party. To say otherwise is a lie. It is the propaganda arm of the left, as is MSNBC. To say otherwise is a lie. New York Times, Washington Post, same thing. That doesn't mean they don't present facts that are true. It doesn't mean they don't do actual reporting. It just means the mission is not to inform the public. The mission is to influence the public. 
They don't want you to have the information to come to your own conclusions. They provide you with information specifically picked and curated and presented in such a way that you will come to certain conclusions. And one of the ways you know this is you see how they cover issues that aren't favorable to their ideology. Fairfax is credibly accused twice over of, in recent memory, you know, sexual assaults against women who do have nothing to gain because they won't be. They're not going to. I'll tell you this right now. You will not see Dr. Vanessa Tyson on the cover of Time magazine ever, ever. Why did you see Christine Blasey Ford on the cover of Time magazine? Well, by the way, what happened to Dr. Vanessa Tyson is a felony and far worse than what was even alleged to have happened with Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh, which was essentially she claimed to have been have been groped and then and ran away, groped by a drunk guy. And then she ran away. She all she imputed into this make-believe encounter that at least didn't happen with Brett Kavanaugh. Might have happened with another guy. I've always I've always held that that was possible. That maybe she had in her mind or for the purposes of telling the story, she had replaced whoever did this to her with Brett Kavanaugh. And if that happened to her, that's that's a very bad thing. It's it's very unsettling. It's scary. But it wasn't Brett Kavanaugh. But even if an incident had happened to her, what happened to, with, with what Fairfax is accused to have done He's accused to have also sexually assaulted another woman in college and said to her that nobody will believe you because you were sexually assaulted by somebody else in college and he knew about it. If this stuff is true, he's a bad guy. I mean, he's a predator. And a predator as an adult, not a teenager who allegedly got too drunk and and, and was grabbing somebody one night. This is in a whole other stratosphere of seriousness where are the me too where are the me too protesters where are the marchers where you know this is this is why you can't take the left seriously they don't have principles they pursue power it's not the same thing why do anti-war protesters disappear when there's a democrat waging war say obama in afghanistan but when there's a Republican waging war, it's, oh, my gosh, we should all have to see photos of people in caskets and, uh, you know, everything possible to emotionalize the issue. And it's terrible and a warmonger. Because they seize on specific policies as a means of attacking the political opposition. And me, too. And I was worried about this in the beginning. I wouldn't even say I was worried. I knew from the beginning it would be weaponized for political purposes. And it was. And it was all building toward that one shot they had to stop Brett Kavanaugh from being on the Supreme Court for the next 30 or 40 years. And they overreached. They overreached. I still believe, even with Kavanaugh's incredible defense, if he had not had accuser number two, who had to ask other people, I don't know if this thing happened. I think maybe it happened. Do you remember it happening? And everybody said, no, we don't remember it happening. That's that's quite an allegation to level. And then accuser number three, who was uh, the might as well have said that Brett Kavanaugh and, you know, seven green space aliens uh, abducted her and abused her along with, you know, the Queen of England and Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you know, accuser number three, Swetnick, was just a, just a, a lunatic that was exploited by the slimiest lawyer in America, with the possible exception of Michael Cohen, uh, Avenatti, who let's not forget Democrats were talking about how he should run for president at one point. 
that was a thing that was being talked about by all oh, the analysts at CNN and these other places that Avenatti dude, Do you remember that presidential material? Oh, yeah. Politico had him on the cover. That's right. Total, total scum. Disgusting. Uh, but just remember this. Vanessa Tyson, there is nothing about her story that doesn't add up. There is nothing about the other accuser that has been flagged as as, you know, the other accusers aren't saying, I don't know where it happened. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I just know it's this guy that the whole country on the left wants to destroy. That was Blasey Ford. This time around, it's, well, you know, let's just not talk about it. And that's, but that's how real bias works. They can't present you necessarily with completely fake stuff. So what they do, because that would be self-defeating. It's not because they're above it. Although sometimes they do fake stuff, the BuzzFeed story. I mean, sometimes they'll run with it. So what they do is they make very clear choices about how much focus to give something, whether to talk about an issue or not, whether to put it on TV or not. And that is how they try to shape the conversation toward the uh, toward the left and toward you know the, the progressive statist ideology that the media is overwhelmingly supportive of. Uh, but you will not. Oh, by the way, wh- why won't they? Res- why won't there be any resignations? Oh, they told us why there won't be any resignations. Play clip one. You know, uh, Attorney General Herring, who you just brought up, also uh, admitted to having worn blackface at one point. If he resigns, the next in line is a Republican. Cynics yeah. would look at this and say the calculus to not be as harsh on the attorney general is influenced by that. Yeah, but I don't think that's actually true. There are, there are cynics who say this is about the next election. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's more about values. Um, we would nope. move from a, a nice progressive, try. <laughs> very <laughs> that was, strong that was cute, though. General. No, he Just shouldn't some- resign because Democrats want power. And that is the only reason that they're not calling for his resignation, because he's a Democrat. We'll be right back. Is Trump a racist because he put the word TRAIL in all caps? My next guest, friend of mine, very witty, very talented fellow, Mr. Michael Malice, tackles this issue. In fact, he got right in the middle of this issue. He was in the center of the barroom brawl over TRAIL and Warren and Trump. And oh, my. He joins us now. He is the host of Nightshade and You're Welcome. Also author of Dear Reader, the unauthorized biography of Kim Jong-il. Thank you so much, my friend. Good to have you back. Always great to be here, Buck. All right, so tell folks what happened. Well, President Trump, as I'm sure most people heard, had a pretty funny tweet directed at Elizabeth Warren, uh, making fun of her, and he ended the tweet by saying, uh, I look forward to seeing you on the trail. Trail was all in caps. And many people took this, and I think unambiguously, as a reference to the Trail of Tears, which is when many Native Americans were forced to walk a long distance with many people who died along the way. And this was poking fun at her lies about her Native American heritage. Now, as soon as he tweeted that, this is, this is what's kind of funny. A long time, I don't know about your Twitter strategy, I would quote someone as a reply. I thought to myself last week, what will happen if I just reply to someone immediately and it's a big account. Well, <laughs> what ended up happening is Donald Trump Jr. screen capped that whole exchange, me and Trump, put it on his Instagram and just wrote, I love my president, savage, with three exclamation Wait, but, but, but what, 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 did, what did you write, though? Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote, uh, uh, the, Amer- uh, the Native American genocide continues with another murder from our president. 
Um, he screen capped that. He wrote uh, Savage. Now, people took that Savage to be racist as well. That's a very common Internet term, as I'm sure you've used as well, just like saying awesome. You know, awesome has a religious meaning, if you want to be literal about it. But when people say awesome, they're not saying divine or, you know, something awe-inspiring. They just mean cool. Uh, all heck broke loose. Uh, you know, people, because as soon as Trump does something that's outside the bounds of what has been defined as decent, that gives so many people an excuse and a reason to lose their minds. And the response was exactly the response to what one would think would be a far more serious issue, which was the supposed separation of children from their parents at the border not that long ago. And... Some folks out there, uh, CNN, a particularly sanctimonious CNN host, said that the joke was racist, right? Blatant racism. Jake, Tapp, Jake Tapper took a, took a junior screen cap with my name and my picture and my little blue verified check mark, which I like so much, and wrote, look what happened here. Trump has a racist tweet. Someone tweets in agreement. <laughs> And then Junior adds more racism. And the point is, I don't expect Jake Tapper to know who I am. I don't expect anyone to know who I am. But if you're a reporter and you're quoting someone and you're saying that they're being blatantly racist, maybe a little background and explanation to the audience is called for because that's your job. Because for all intents and purposes, I could be a Native American or I could have been quoting somebody else or infinite things. So it's amazing. And the thing is, if I were just an average citizen and he's like, okay, this person doesn't matter, which is fair, then he should have blurred out my name and face, right? Because otherwise he's saying this random person is a blatant racist. That's calling for dogpiling. Well, as you know, CNN actually likes to dox or threaten to dox just folks that get on the wrong side of them, even if they're not public figures. So that, that's kind of the way they do business over there. I mean, it's a, it's a trash bag organization now, unfortunately. Um, but I, I thought, you know, you made a really – you wrote a piece in The Federalist – uh, on the yep. dot com that that caught my attention. I thought you made a really important point, which is that, uh, quote, previously the rules the rules are if it's your team, provide context and nuance and assume best intentions. If it's their team, take everything at face value in such a way as to make them seem to be the acme of awfulness. The fact that I was tweeting alongside Trump must mean that I'm on their team. Yeah, which is interesting because in fact I find your your. Uh, your analysis and, and your wit to be uh, interesting, but you are an anarchist. You are not actually conservative. Oh, I, I, my upcoming book trashes conservatives every chance I get because I think, and I'll give you a reason why that you agree with. You and Molly Hemingway are two of the best conservatives on this issue. I think too many conservatives are completely blind to just how malevolent the press is. Conservatives, by their nature, uh, and this is a, an essential element of conservatism, tend to believe that that what we have can be fixed. If it's been around for a long time, there must be something to it. It can be fixed for a reason. And it, it's, it's getting to the point where many conservatives, you, Molly, some others, and I think the Kavanaugh stuff, put you, starting to put you guys over the top, are realized these aren't mistakes that the press is making. This is far deeper than they like the Democrats. If you're talking to someone who just likes Democrats, who cares? They have their point of view. That's valid. This is far more uh, malevolent and pernicious than that. And I don't think that they are redeemable, this this system. Well, I, I absolutely agree. And your analysis is astute because I did see what happened to Kavanaugh that in terms of what the media did to Kavanaugh right. and what they were attempting to do to Kavanaugh was, in my in my view, not just a, a declaration of war on 
our whole system of, of presumption of innocence and due process, but a declaration of war on decency itself. And the press was giddy over it. And I thought it was the most it was really the most disgusting thing I've seen in, in, in a very, very long time. I mean, I could say probably even my right. whole life in some ways in terms of in terms of press actions. I think the press are worse on Kavanaugh than anything I've ever seen. Um, but I just think, you know, your, your point about. Go ahead. If they if they believed what they were saying, why have they stopped saying it? If all these things are true, we have this horrible person in the Supreme Court. Why would you stop talking about it? They even stopped talking about Trump and his supposed misdeeds from four years ago. They dropped it like a hot potato because clearly it was a means to an end for them. And once they lost, they were moving on to something else. It was never sincere. By the way, since you got since you weighed in on the Elizabeth Warren thing, where do you think this goes for her? I get the sense that Elizabeth Warren just can't stop digging. And people are going to make Native American jokes and puns and everything for the entirety of her effort to run for the presidency. And they're right to. And I'll give I'll give you some more points that I, as I said this in the article. Uh, if Trump had literally killed her, that wouldn't be part of the Native American genocide. If he had literally killed her and she was actually Native American, it wouldn't be part of the Native American genocide. If I, as a Jewish person, were shot today at Auschwitz, that wouldn't be make me a Holocaust survivor, right? So to tie in someone who has no Native American blood, who and here's the other thing, they will tell you, you read articles, she never leveraged this to further her career. She never, ever, ever, ever leveraged this, right? They say this, her current job, her current job as senator in 2012 on the campaign trail, she was talking about she would be the first person with Native American heritage in the Senate for Massachusetts. She was positioning herself as an affirmative action hire, a diversity hire. And even to this day, the job she has now, she was exploiting this. So it's not about, OK, maybe it was an innocent mistake. Let's pretend that that's the case. The point is, she did exploit that at best innocent mistake to further her career. Michael Malice, everybody, check out his show, uh, which you can see on. Uh, how, how do people go find it, Michael? Where do they go to find? Your uh, welcome is on iTunes or uh, YouTube and uh, Nightshades on CompoundMedia.com. Michael's a very interesting, very thoughtful guy. He, he's funny and can be a little bit of a trouble starter. He's a little, little <laughs> of a troublemaker. So if you check out his stuff, just be aware, buyer beware. But Mr. Malice, always good to have you all, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Buck. Team, we've got a big hour three coming up. Stay with me. Social media is dominated by left-wing ideologues these days. The major Silicon Valley platforms are so progressive. I have an idea. I can give you a place where you can share your thoughts and ideas and not worry about all that progressive groupthink and shadow banning and all the rest of it. Snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media site. If you've checked it out in the past, go back and take a look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform. It's all about conversation and community. You can express your thoughts and share your conservative opinions, or any opinion for that matter, and know that you're not going to get shadow banned or suspended for no reason. No suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, check it out for yourself. Snippy.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. No Price tag here, totally free. Check it out for yourself, snippy.com. Anti-Semitism has no place in the United States Congress. And Congressman Omar is terrible, what she said. And I think she should either resign from Congress 
or she should certainly resign from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Representative Ilhan Omar not yet out of uh, hot water here for her comments about how APAC has a particularly strong hand in our foreign policy because it's all about the Benjamins. Uh, she has con- she has apologized, but only sort of apologized. People on the left are saying, well, hold on. There's a legitimate foreign policy discussion to be had here. A lot of other people are saying, oh, this is actually just anti-Semitism and it's getting a real foothold in the left. I want to talk about this and also Iran and North Korea and some other hot topics with our next guest, Fred Flights. Fred was a CIA analyst like yours truly. He was there for 19 years. He was NSC chief of staff recently in the Trump administration. Now he's the president and CEO of the Center for Security Policy. Fred, great to have you on, sir. Good to be here, sir. Uh, so let's just start with Omar. Do you, first, do you think that she should resign? And, and do you think that uh, she's an outlier or is she indicative of a trend toward anti-Israel and really more pointedly anti-Jewish thinking among the foreign policy left? I think it is anti-Jewish and anti-Israel thinking on the foreign policy left. should be on the Foreign Affairs Committee. This isn't just anti-Semitism. This is a real hatred of Israel. This is a new effort to delegitimize Israel, to call for its destruction, to flood it with Palestinians. This is like the, the latest fake attack by the Palestinians and the left to ruin American support for Israel and to delegitimize Israel on the, on the national stage. That's why this is so dangerous. And sometimes I do interviews on left-wing television shows, and, uh, you know, I have a name sounds like it's Jewish. You would believe the anti-Semitic attacks against me whenever I defend Israel. There's something going on on the left, and it's very dangerous and it's ugly. So she should definitely be taken off the House Foreign Affairs Committee. You would agree with that? I mean, what was Nancy Pelosi thinking? You know what? I think she thought she was going to stick it to President Trump because of his, uh, you know, basically uh, Trump has said things about Muslims that, that, that Democrats find offensive. So Pelosi put this woman on there. But frankly, she was playing with fire because this woman is just not ready for prime time and has said repeated things that are just really ugly and pretty clearly anti-Semitic. Now, let's move on to North Korea. We have this upcoming summit, a second summit between President Trump and uh, North Korean leadership, Kim Jong-un. People on both sides obviously view this very differently for the most part. Some are saying that this is all, this is a lot of, a lot of nothing. Others are saying, well, we've had real progress. Just, I know that you think that the president's made real progress. You were at the NSC when he was engaged in some of these North Korea talks. Just tell us how. I mean, how, how should we assess this? How should we see this? Because clearly, you know, we're not in a, in a great spot with North Korea yet, but are we in a better spot? Well, we've at least paused the North Korean nuclear missile programs. There haven't been any tests since late 2017. That's significant. There were uh, 80 missile tests during the Obama administration. There were four nuclear tests, 20 missile tests during the first year of the Trump administration. This is significant, but look, it could be just a a blip in history unless there's more. The North Koreans have been dragging their feet. The purpose in the negotiations, the purpose of this summit is to get the North Koreans, to get Leader Kim to agree to basically concrete deliverables on how are they going to start implementing what Kim agreed to at the last summit in Singapore. So how do we do that? I mean, what's, what's then the way forward? Well, just a meeting between the two leaders is a concession. It, it legitimizes the regime. And we're just hoping that this rapport 
that the president has with Kim, and we know he's been buttering him up lately uh, in various with various tweets, uh, that the president can use his negotiation skills to get Kim to agree to at least some preliminary in uh, letting uh, preliminary investigations, uh, letting inspectors into a military uh, missile site and a nuclear test site. Hopefully, that will expand into greater uh, inspections. We also need to get a full and thorough accounting of the North Korean WMD and missile programs. That's going to take more work, but they have to start working on that too. Now, tell me about where we should uh, where we should be viewing how we should view the the Iran deal, which I, I know a lot of people that were part of the Obama administration get very upset about this because they think that it's tearing apart Obama's foreign policy legacy. Obviously, you and I don't think there's much of a legacy to tear apart, but you know, the, the, you hear things like they're they're uh, Iran's violating the deal. No, they're not violating the deal, or you know, the deal is too soft, and that's the problem. What has what has President Trump done in the Iran deal, and or, or about the Iran deal? I know we're out of it, but what does that mean, and what comes next? Well, I wrote a piece in National Review recently that said that eight months later, the president's withdrawal from the Iran deal has been a tremendous policy success. We now know that the deal was a fraud. Iran was continuing weapons-related activities while the deal was in effect by enriching uranium, and Iran cheated. We know the Iranians cheated based on documents that the Israelis stole from the Iranians uh, early last year that, that showed a secret nuclear site that Iran refused to declare a warehouse full of nuclear uh, equipment and fissile material that Iran started to empty out once the Iran, once they found out that the Israelis stole their documents. It was a fraud through and through. It was basically a legacy agreement so the Obama administration could say they had an agreement with Iran. The Trump administration threw this out. Iran is increasingly isolated. What we need to do now is to focus on denying Iran transfers of nuclear missile technology and get all of our allies, especially regional allies who were excluded from the Iran deal, let's get them lined up on a united policy to to deal with all of the threats posed by Iran. Now, on the Mideast side of all this, or I guess Mideast and South Asia, where do you come down on the discussions recently about, one, a U.S. troop presence in Syria, and then also a, a drawdown, a planned drawdown, I believe, now in Afghanistan, a possible peace deal even with the Taliban? Let's start with Syria first. How's that going? Well, the, the, the announcement the president made in December was adjusted to pull our troops out slower. He listened to his advisors. He listened to uh, leaders in the region who said that you can't pull our troops out that quickly. But I think on issues like Syria and Afghanistan, the president is conflicted. There are security interests, but he also does not believe that U.S. troops should be deployed to these areas indefinitely. There's a lot of Americans who agree with that, Mark. They think that we've been in Afghanistan too long. The New York Times recently ran a major editorial agreeing with Trump. Who would have thought? That, that it's time for us to get out of Afghanistan. Uh, there is some indicate there are some indications that there's been progress in talks with the Taliban that would allow us to start drawing down. I'm not going to hold my breath on that, but I think there is some truth to that. Um, so basically, it's it's a trade-off. The president wants to withdraw. He doesn't think we should be in these areas indefinitely, but he knows the security concerns. So it's a struggle, uh, I think, um, within his own mind. And with his advisors, who have a variety of different perspectives. Now, you and I both come from the intelligence community, Fred, and there's obviously been some 
very high level folks. I mean, I, I've I've interviewed uh, I've interviewed Clapper since he's been out. I've interviewed Hayden, and I got to tell you, Hayden in particular, I find I find his conduct and his commentary about about the president, about the administration, to be beyond disappointing. Um, one, I just wonder, what do you think the long term? What do you think? Is there any long term damage from former Intel chiefs coming out and just being? partisan actors like they're all auditioning for an MSNBC show all the time and then also do you think that there's still a lot of that going on at the top levels inside the community and that it's and that it's hurting the president still well if you think Hayden is disappointing what do you think of John Brennan oh well I mean he's I don't even I mean John Brennan probably should should be brought up on chart he's in a whole other category of awful but you're right well, well you know like I'm friends with Mike Hayden I think he has gotten over the line sometimes but frankly Brennan is so bad I don't even notice some of the things that Hayden is saying but you know you're right intelligence officials former CIA directors used to be senior statesmen and ambassadors for the profession. And they stayed out of politics. They were like, you know, the, the, the gray beards who would advise academia and presidents. A current CIA director would invite in all his predecessors and consult with them. They'd come in quarterly for meetings. Of course, John Brennan doesn't come in for those meetings anymore because the president took his clearance away, which I thought was a great move. Um, I think that we have to get back to the time where former CIA directors, they stay out of politics, they stay off MSNBC, and, you know, they try to serve this country and not being political hacks. And what are your, just, just one more thing for you here, Fred, as the, uh, we only got about a minute, but as the Russia investigation seems to be coming to a close, is it really going to come to a close? Is this going to drag on forever? The Democrats will never come to a It'll never come to a close for the Democrats. The Democrats in the House, I think they're going to start this all over again, even though I think the president is about to be exonerated by the Mueller probe. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's always in politics. There's no evidence of collusion. I didn't think there was from the beginning. Uh, and I, I just think that this is just going to go on forever. And, and years from now, the president's out of office. Historians and Democrats will still keep claiming this yeah. delusion, even though they're never going to find evidence. Hey, team, Fred is right, because Fred and I agree. So <laughs> Fred, Fred, is, Fred is right on these things, because we, we see this the same way. Fred Flights, everybody, president, CEO of the Center for Security Policy, uh, also former CIA analyst like myself. My brother from Langley, Fred, thank you so much. Good to be here. Thanks. All right, team. Well, uh, I want to talk a little. We didn't get to China there. China. Do we have a, come on, you got to, come on, you got to have that one ready. Don't be China. A, there we go. China. China. <laughs> okay, let's not, hey, hey, let's not overdo it. Let's not overdo it. That's coming up next. Team, there's not much that I need to get my day started, right? Pants, t-shirt, shoes, good start. But you know what's right up there with it? Black Rifle Coffee. Because it tastes delicious. So it gives me something to look forward to when I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is make my cup of Black Rifle coffee. Well, after I put on clothing. Uh, And it is delicious coffee that is brought to you by veterans of the armed forces who are building a great American brand. They give back to first responder and veteran causes from a a part of the proceeds of this. So you're doing good. It's tasting good. Gets delivered right to you. Everybody listening should make Black Rifle Coffee their coffee of choice. Join the coffee club. They'll deliver to you every month. Wake up with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. One more time, blackriflecoffee.com dot com slash buck for 15 percent off your order the economy is doing incredibly well numbers are 
really high, really good. We have a big team of people, very talented people over in China right now, uh, negotiating on the China deal. It's going along very well. We'll see what happens, but I think it's going along very well. They're showing us tremendous respect and something which a lot of countries didn't use to show the United States. They're showing us respect now. Big difference from the old days, I will tell you that. So uh, the deal with China is going very well. The deal with China, the president says, is going well, but we, we might be in for a, a bit of a delay here. There might be a, a pushback. The March 2nd deadline that is, has been reported on a lot to reach a trade deal with China uh, might, get, uh, might get the old heave-ho. They might decide to push that aside for a little while. Um, the U.S. is not supposed to put higher tariffs on Chinese goods if the talks with Beijing are going well. So we will have to see. It could increase tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods to 25% from 10%. And one thing that's really been really interesting to see this all play out, I just remember, because it wasn't long ago, I remember hearing about how what Trump was doing was dangerous, what Trump was doing was going to destroy the economy, all this stuff. And here we are. Last year, the economy was good. It wasn't the stock market had a rough end of year for sure. But unemployment still very, very low. The only argument that I can hear people make right now about what's happened as a result of Trump's overtures to China has to do with it would have been even better, but it hasn't been bad. And I would note that the, the critics of Trump on trade, and it has been really bipartisan criticism, and I've tried to bring on experts here and reflect expert opinion on trade that you're not getting from the, the, the mainstream media, you're not getting from people that like to just parrot the consensus, uh, that there has been real headway made here on doing things on trade that needed to be done, but that everybody seemed to think were crazy when Trump started to do them. You know, now you have this U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, and people said, oh, you can't, NAFTA has been the cornerstone of blah, blah. People got all excited and all angry because of it turns out NAFTA was signed before the Internet era. So there was a lot of a lot of stuff that needed to be updated and changed. And there hasn't been some huge disruption in our trade with with uh, Mexico or Canada. And now on China, China had a rough year last year. Um, and it's always interesting to see how people assess the Chinese market because there's it's a, it's a bit opaque. There's a certain degree of not trusting the numbers from the Chinese national government that a lot of China watchers I know uh, bring to the bring to the situation. But, you know, their economy was getting hammered last year and our economy is doing well. It's because Trump is the first president in memory for me who comes along and says, we're in a stronger position than China and China's pulling some nonsense. So we're going to get them to stop doing the stuff that they've been doing. Intellectual property theft, the predatory trade practices vis-a-vis U.S. companies that try to base out of China for a while, you know, these cooperative corporate agreements that turn into just a siphoning of U.S. intellectual property into Chinese companies, all that stuff. Trump is like, can't do this anymore. Got to figure something out to stop it. And I'm not saying that he is there yet. I'm not saying that it has been perfect. But uh, to be sure, President Trump has... I think defied the critics so far and on balance looks like he knows some stuff that they certainly did not know. He's aware of things that they were not aware of, or at least he was able to see the situation more clearly than they were. Because people were saying, oh, so many of the 
more learned conservatives that I know in the media, oh, free trade. And, and you say, well, hold on a second. Free trade is a great idea. But this is like saying the answer to everything in healthcare is just to say we need, we need a free market in healthcare. Okay, that's nice. 50% of the healthcare market is already government spending. So to say that the answer is just a free market is to say, okay, we're so far from a free market right now. And in terms of our, our deal with, and, and to pretend that we're in a free market and if we change anything, we're losing the free market, that is the root fallacy, right? It, it's one, if I say, hey, we need to make this change on healthcare, um, and then people say, no, no, Buck, we can't because we need a, a free market-based healthcare system. I'd say, well, well, half the healthcare system is not free market. And there's a tremendous amount of regulation. There are reasons why drug prices are so high and government intervention. So we don't have a free market in healthcare. We can try to make it more free, and I understand that as a principle, but it's not an answer to everything. Oh, just make it free market. Okay, well, how? And, and, and under what auspices? And, and how do we implement that idea? Same thing with free trade. People say, oh, Buck, no, we need free trade with China. Okay, we don't have free trade with China. China has tariffs and China is stealing intellectual property and doing all kinds of stuff. It's really bad. So, you know, that's that's a part of this that I think Trump has brought to the forefront. And he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. I hope we do get some kind of an agreement with China. I think that could really be a boost to the economy. Keep in mind also, despite it... Mike, did you see that story yesterday about how people are getting less in their tax refunds? And initially, Democrats, to borrow their word, they pounced on this. Like, <laughs> yes, because they've kept more of their money. Right. It was comical. They kept more money. Yeah. But this is the year that they will be keeping more uh, more money, and people will have more money to spend um, as a result of the change in the withholding. And so I think we could see some good stuff happening. Some good stuff happening on that front. I saw this story today. People always ask me what there is to say about somebody who would betray their country and spy for another country. And this is a a former U.S. intel specialist has been charged with spying for Iran. I haven't gotten too deep into the details of it, but look, this is the insider threat. People are exploited by our enemies and they betray the greatest country ever known to man assuming this is true these are just allegations at this point whether this uh this woman who i think she was worked for the air force as an intelligence analyst right yeah um she's now at large they don't even i think they she's probably hiding somewhere is she supposed to be in iran do we know i don't know where she is but they're trying to track her down monica witt monica witt and they say that she gave away some very sensitive stuff all i can just say is you know every society has traitors folks going to happen unfortunately and uh, hopefully we can limit the damage they do on ours why anybody would try to help the iranians any america remember this is an american who has essentially defected and and double crossed us to help iran you know betraying america is always a terrible thing but betraying america for the iranians is just even even just goes beyond usual treason to wow treason this is nuts um but i don't have much on it other than that just because i don't know what the programs are the information is so i can't speak to any of that um but we'll be right back 
beaten with a noose around his neck and hospitalized. Empire star Jesse Smollett was the victim of a vicious, racist, and homophobic attack. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Not only homophobia, we're talking about racism, we're talking about hate with steroids. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats. The offenders uttered, this is MAGA country. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tweeting, the racist homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. And Senator Cory Booker said, the vicious attack on actor Jesse was an attempted modern day lynching. Kamala Harris calling the attack an attempted modern day lynching. But I'm so shaken by the story. This is horrible to report. This is a horrible story. This is America in 2019. Man, those media folks are really, you know, they really believe this, apparently. They, they, they believe it, Mike. I, I, I want to know, know just why somebody can't come out and tell me. How, how, just tell me how it's possible that a guy who says he had a racist hate crime uh, happen to him won't turn over his phone. I had people reach out to me, by the way, from the media, because some of them heard this show. They said, Buck, what if he has below-the-belt pics on there? Like, they came up with these really creative theories for why he wouldn't just... Just to prove... People say, why does it matter? When you tell the police things, they just check off the facts because they want... that. That's what they do. They're doing their investigation, their due diligence on the story, right? So, okay, he wouldn't give them the phone initially. Now... He gave them incomplete phone records, redacted phone records, which means that clearly he's hiding something from his phone records, which is utterly bizarre. Mike, I just want to know, is there any reasonable explanation for this that you've heard whatsoever? Because I have not. And yet the media still believes this guy. None whatsoever. I mean, this is completely shady activity. Um, Shadiest thing ever. I mean, the, the, the idea also that these two, like, rednecks in MAGA hats, walking around Chicago, by the way, I feel like other people would have noticed these guys, too, to right. say this. I mean, in, in Chicago, when they went around and asked, hey, anyone see anything? Um, this is MAGA country? Not Chicago. I, huh? I know a lot. First of all, not Chicago. Unless and second, there's another well, Chicago down south that I'm not aware of. I, I know a lot of Trump supporters, yeah. okay? I have never heard a single person say, this is MAGA country. No. That is, I'm just going to say it. That is something that a person would make up about Trump supporters. Yeah. That is not something a Trump supporter would say. Right. You know, people that are really into Trump are not going to say this is MAGA country. Yeah. And like you always say, like, if something like this, when something happens to you like this, that's this, you know, supposedly this horrific, you're like really adamant about it. You know, you really come out strong. Like, who knows? But he, the fact that he is not coming out, like, now that people are doubting him, like, there's, you know, it's been in the media the last week, people are doubting him. He's gone on the radio silent. Like, if, if this happened to me and people started doubting me, oh, yeah. I'd be all up in their face. Like, oh, yeah. no, this, this happened. I, I, this is the way it went down. This is where it was. Like, you just, you, you don't, you present the facts and you get, I would be upset if somebody doubted my story. I just think it's so interesting, the media, the, the interest in this with every passing day. Now that, now that people, are, people are asking, should the police... Subpoena his phone records, which is very easy to do. I mean, a phone record, I've done phone record subpoenas myself. All it has to do is essentially be tied to an investigation. I mean, to pull phone records is not a, not a high bar at all. And now there are people saying, no, 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 they shouldn't do that. Said, Why shouldn't they subpoena his phone records? He said he was on the phone with his manager when he got attacked. I think there are people who realize this is, this is going to turn into, there are only two options here that I see. 
He got into a scuffle with somebody that had nothing to do with Trump or MAGA or any of this stuff and, and kind of cooked up this story because he saw an opportunity. That's one. I think the much more likely thing is he just this is a national attention grab. I don't see what, what I mean. The third option is that this bizarre story happened to this guy and that he wants to make the police's job really hard. I don't get that. I actually go with option A. I think, uh, I think the first thing he said, I think he got in, I think something happened. Um, and I think he and probably he exaggerated the whole thing. And that, that yeah. allows him to, it's like he's a method actor. He's an actor. Right. Now it's like he's in the, he got in the mindset right. of what it could be like to be in a, a racial attack when maybe some guy, you know, maybe they and just, if I had to take a guess, I would say that something happened and he was in the wrong. And he probably wound up losing in a fight or something, and then got into a scuffle with somebody, and then made it. Yeah, yep, yeah. I think, I think, I think. Because also, by the way, the I mean, two guys attack you, have the ability. I mean, I, you know, not that I ever try this out. Two guys attack me on the street, and they manage to get a noose around my neck. I would be in really bad physical shape. I wouldn't have like a tiny shiner on my under my left eye. Like I'd have like a broken nose or job. I mean, you know, because you're gonna. A new, they could kill you with a noose, right? I mean, a noose is not something that's just like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm I'm attacking you. I want to put this rope around your neck that I could strangle you with, right? But I think people leave this out. And he left the noose around his neck. Not credible. Not credible. No, no, no. See, we speak the truth here, team, without fear or favor. Booyah. We'll be right back. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. An NYC version of Roll Call. That's right. Up in New York City, the Big Apple for Valentine's Day. Hanging out with Miss Molly. Sending her some 1-800-Flowers tomorrow. That's right. That's how we roll. So uh, there we have it. Um, it's good to be in the town. Although it's a little cold, Brandon. It's a little cold. I was hoping it would be warmer. You know, D.C. doesn't have snow. So this is where, yeah, there's no snow in D.C. So this is when I was on the train on the way up. I said, whoa, wait a second. Even the, what is it, the 300 or so miles makes a difference in terms of, of climate. All right. None of you care about that. Facebook.com slash Buck I'm just happy to be in New York. Facebook.com slash Buck We have... Some messages to get to, my friends. Tim writes, so what kind of music do you like? Well, I like both kinds, country and Western. Let's see if you get that one. Personally, my musical roots are in rock and roll and blues, but in later years I've learned to appreciate country music. These are the country music artists I would recommend. Keith Urban, Brad Paisley, Eric Church, Chris Stapleton is awesome, and my personal favorite, Sugarland. Please check them out. Are you? Do you listen to country at all? Uh, because of the nature of my job, I I'm you must familiar. right, yeah, yeah. Because you're, I mean, you're DJ Brandon, so you got to like you got to spin discs of all kinds of artists. A lot of the iHeart uh, live uh, concert series feature a lot of country artists, so I've become familiar. Mm. Do you know any of these guys he just brought up here? I don't. I don't... Sure, uh, Eric Church. Well, I Keith think Urban's famous. I know who that yeah. guy is. Yeah. yeah, Eric Church. I think he's done stuff with uh, Metallica. Okay. And uh, Chris Stapleton actually opened up for Guns N' Roses. The GNR. Yeah, this is... The Gun and Roses. The Gun and Roses. That's very exciting, dude. Good things. David writes, Buck, watch you on Rising today. Excuse me. Watch you on Rising today. Upset that you shaved the beard. 
I think it makes you look better, and it looks like the swoop is getting out of control. (laughs) I do need a haircut. I tried to get a haircut. For what it's worth, I tried to get a haircut today, and I couldn't couldn't get into the barber. But yeah, the swoop is out of control, and I miss the beard, too. I I came in. Brandon has a very high-quality beard. DJ Brandon has a very good beard. It's true. And and I, I told him about you know my little clipper shaving incident where I was just trying to do a little trim, but you go too much. I didn't realize the mustache part of it you can't mess up on. Like that, like on the neckline and stuff, you can make a little bit of a, a little bit of a boo boo, and it's all right. But if you mess the mustache up, like if you you know clipper just the center part of your mustache off, you're done. You're done. You can't be the guy that's missing the middle of your mustache, right? No, it's a do. You got to do a do over. Yeah, you got to. So I'm a do over. I'm a do over face. But that dude, the beard is going to get. I'm going to be like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson. You know he's a great actor because. Did you get a little sad when Wilson was floating away? I, fe- little, I felt sad for that uh, for that volleyball. Wilson, Wilson. I was so sad. He was losing his volleyball. Uh, all right, back to this note here from David. Uh, Crystal Ball looks lovely as always. Just kind of saying, Buck, keep up the good work. Appreciate everything you do on radio and TV. Keep fighting the good fight. Shields high. Well, David, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you. And uh, please keep listening. Please keep watching. Chris writes, hi, Buck. My name is Chris. And I believe you met my mom in San Diego at the Freedom Frontline event. She says, thank you for posting on Instagram with her. Well, she does not have Facebook, so she's sitting next to me right now as I write this. By the way, I'm a fan of yours as well. She wanted me to tell you to start listening to a country group called Old Dominion. It's her favorite one as a recent convert to country music herself. Thanks for all you do. Lonely conservatives here in California. Uh, Well, Chris, man, great to meet you, or at least be in touch with you. And it was awesome to meet your mom out in Rancho Santa Fe, which I will tell you, Rancho Santa Fe is a nice place. Highly... Highly recommend if you can get a little time out there. I was like, ooh, I could, I could get used to this. You're you're within sight of the ocean. You're you have the weather of San Diego, and it's it's very nice. You know, you only need you know, like six or seven million dollars gets you a pretty nice house in Rancho Santa Fe, from what I understand, though. So I'm um, you know I'm about six or seven million short, but I'm working on it. Lou writes, uh, good evening, Buck. Um, the list for country music is Hank Williams, Waylon Jennings, Patsy Cline, Charlie Pride, Johnny Cash. The list goes on, brother, but that's a great start for you. Shields high. Thank you so much, Lou. Oh, and Lou says he writes, uh, oh, he listens on KXBF AM 970 in Fairbanks, Alaska. What's up, Team Buck Alaska? That's right. Stay warm up there, Team Buck Alaska. Stay warm. Uh, NJ writes... Beto O'Rourke is the Bobby Newport of national politics in real life. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport thinks that this is a job you can just get by marrying a billionaire. Some of you who are Parks and Rec super fans will catch this. I know you're catching this right now. Bobby Newport. If you don't watch Parks and Rec, you think that I'm having some kind of a breakdown in here, but that's okay. You are in Parks and Rec. I, everyone says this. I don't look that much like Adam Scott. This is a lie. A this is bit. a lie that people tell themselves. Adam, for Adam Scott is like 5'3 and 110 pounds. <laughs> I'm working on the 110 pounds part, but, you know, he's 
halfway there. Um, but yeah, man, good good things, good things. Bobby Newport. Keith writes, hasn't anyone oh my oh, hasn't anyone noticed the physical as well as clownish behavior of Adam Schiff vis-a-vis Andy Kaufman? I think Schiff could do a decent rendition of the theme song from Mighty Mouse, Here I Come to Save the Day. You know, sometimes our our listeners are so creative that I'm I must say I don't know what they're talking about. So that one went did did any of you catch that? That one went went beyond my beyond my knowledge. Uh Another Chris, we got a lot, a lot of Chris's writing in today. Buck, as I was sitting in my favorite chair, pondering excessive methane emissions, as I'm known to do, I finally came up with the planet-saving idea. Pilot lights on all farm animals, north and south, kind of like you see on oil derricks and trash dumps. I can already taste the Nobel Prize. P.S. Avoid the animals coming and going. Creative, I guess. I, I, okay. So there's that. Richard rides. Buck, what up? You notice all the barriers keeping the hundred people at the Beto rally from the stage? Yeah, it's like it's really hard because it's like I just wanted to just like like shake everybody's hand at the Beto rally because I'm Beto O'Rourke, but like there was a fence that was in the way, and I couldn't even skateboard around it, and I really wanted to. Producer Mike, will you please come to my rally and be my friend? Thank you. Yeah, that thing was so awkward. So awkward. There were like there were like 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 fifty people that were there, but they just love Beto so much that it like is amazing. Oh, uh, I like you know they had a Trump. They had like a monitor in the background with Trump that you could see on it. That did not really go well. Um, yeah, Richard's making fun of the Beto rally too, which. You know, this guy, people think that he has some kind of, no, it's all a media creation. He hasn't actually shown us any ability to do anything yet. But people like this stuff. Conrad writes, California's bullet train, I think Conrad's a cool name, by the way. California's bullet train was being built by Diane Feinstein's hubby. I don't know. Producer Mike, do we know about I don't know about that. Is that right? It sounds right. Uh, no, the the bullet train was being built by the uh, taxpayer dollars of America. That's oh, what, well, that's the, there we go. Fact <laughs> so, check, true. Yeah. But I think what he might be referring to is that I think Feinstein's hubby owns a bunch of land that he just happened to purchase that happens to be right near some of the important uh, termini or ter- the terminus of the uh, railroad station. Uh, that's quite a. Quite a good real estate move to make if you know what's going on. So, but yes, you're right. It is the tax. They were not. There was no private way to spend. What was it? Seventy-seven billion dollars. Yeah, right around there. Eighty million. Yeah, it was. It was a billion, uh, not it, not million. Billion. billion. Yeah. It was. A, it was a train wreck. It was indeed a train wreck. It was a mobile dumpster fire in a train. Uh, Jordan writes, just listening tonight, and since you're trying to get custom to country music, you should listen to the oldies, 90s and earlier. The twang is where it's at. If you listen to Midland 14 Gears, it has that twang. Now, that's real country music. Yes, I grew up on country music, and I'm from Grand Junction, Colorado. Well, Shields, how to you, Jordan? Thank you. I am, I am keeping a running list here for my Spotify. I've got a country music Spotify playlist now, and, uh, you know, that's... That's get, it's getting bigger and bigger. I'm listening to more of it. I've got a punk rock Spotify playlist now because I realized Nick Gillespie from Reason was on Twitter. Uh, you know, one of the libertarians, libertarians have some interesting stuff to say. He was on Twitter and he was talking about punk rock. And I said, you know, man, I just got to be honest with you. I really don't know punk rock. Like, 
I, I know who the Ramones are. I, mean, I don't, you know, I didn't grow up in a cave somewhere, uh, but I don't really understand. I, I hadn't really been exposed to much of the music, and uh, I've got the playlist. Of this. Punk rock is great, really good stuff, actually. You know, the New York Dolls and the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the very, very good songs. And who does the who does the the Passenger? Is that Iggy? Is that Iggy Pop? The song "The Passenger." You guys know what I'm talking. About? You're the you're the culture music aficionados. I'm the I'm the political science dork. Yeah, my my brother's really in the punk. Yeah, you're talking to the wrong Quinlan. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, because people who like it, it's almost like a religion to them. They get, I like it, but I just don't. I'm not as knowledgeable as uh, other people are. I can get into it though. Yeah. Well, there we have it. Uh, yeah, Iggy Pop. I was right. The Passenger. Psh, bam. And by the way, it's a great song. Those of you who are looking for something to add to your Spotify playlist, uh, go forth and check it out. All right, that's going to be it for today's show from NYC. Hope you very much enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking to all of you. I'm going to go uh, wander the Big Apple, get into some trouble. Should be fun tonight. Uh, probably get a, a steak somewhere. Uh, please do send me your thoughts, facebook.com slash bucksexit. I will talk to you tomorrow from NYC once again, Shield High. You're probably familiar with AARP. It's a well-known organization, but you know what's not nearly as well-known about it? It's pretty liberal, pretty progressive. All about Obamacare, big government, statism, higher taxes. You don't want that. If you want to join a seniors organization that represents your values and gets you great discounts on stuff, I recommend AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, first of all, when you join AMAC, you're part of the conservative alternative. And wouldn't you rather belong to an organization that fights for your values, protecting our borders, enforcing common sense immigration laws, supporting small business and standing up for your individual God-given freedoms? I say the answer is yes, my friends. Plus, you get great benefits like discounts on hotels and car insurance, too. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight. Become a member of this great conservative seniors organization today. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America.